Welcome to the Sooner Catholic Podcast with your hosts, Alex Sanchez. And I'm Trevor Barreca. Stay tuned for the episode. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to see you in this week's episode. And listen to this beat drop. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Sooner Catholic Podcast. This week we have a special treat. Like you all know, the the mission and the hope of this podcast is to reach specifically OU students and St. Thomas More students at that. So today we have a special guest with us. And it's none other than our fearless and faithful pastor, Father Jim Goins. Trevor, how how you feeling about today's interview? I'm pretty excited. We have a good list of actually uh, more academic questions. Questions we have uh, some insightful questions for Father Jim, and then we have some curveballs just to to see how he reacts under pressure. So we're gonna give him some good questions today, but we're super excited. Uh, Father Jim, do you want to introduce yourself and just say hello? Thank you for having me. I, I am Father Jim Goins. I'm here because they promised me bagels. <laughs> the bagels have not yet arrived, but I am here and very excited about being here and talking to you guys about the mission of our parish and also uh, about the priesthood. Thanks. Fantastic. Father, what is something just off the bat that most students might not know about you? that you actually want students to know about you? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I don't know how many students know that I am a convert. I was not raised as a Catholic. I began attending Catholic Mass when I was in college, which is one major reason why I have a great heart for this ministry. So my time in college was the period in my life when I realized I was being called to something new, a new experience of Jesus Christ. I was already Christian. I was already baptized. But I was being called to the sacramental life. I don't know if most students know that, but that's something I would want them to know. That's awesome. Um, So how long have you been a priest, and how many assignments at, at different parishes have you had? I was ordained in June of 1992, so I think that gets me to, what, 29 years this coming June, perhaps? I've lost count. It's been so long now. (laughs) Uh, I've had varied assignments, great assignments. I've been in small country parishes and in large urban parishes. This assignment here at Thomas More is my longest and my most fruitful, I would have to say. So I've been here over... 10 years now. I'm going on my 11th year as pastor here. So think of that. A a huge chunk of my priesthood has been spent right here. In total, I think I've had about seven assignments. Wow. That's that's crazy. That's way more than I would have anticipated, seven assignments, Uh, especially in, you said, 29 years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jeez. And with the, this is your 11th at at St. Thomas More, correct? 11th year. Yeah. So this being the the majority. I was curious when you said that, is this one of the large urban ones or the small country one? (laughs) (laughs) No, I count this as a large urban parish. So this is, uh, you know, certainly in the metro and certainly a very important parish within the archdiocesan structure. So Hey, for me, this this assignment is the best it's ever been. Hey, so good. that's so cool. And and on that note, I I met you when I was a, a you know a, a young confident 
freshman with <clears throat> with braces and an afro. <laughs> a lot has changed in the, in the. Well, no, not exactly. But but I, I've met you, and a lot of things have changed in my life. I'm, I'm now married and with kids and things like that. But with with your life and, and with the the history of St. Thomas More, what has changed in the past decade that the the freshmen or even the seniors uh, of today would would not know unless you told them? What has changed here at St. Thomas More? Well, to begin, if I could take you back in time and show you Thomas More in June of 2010, it was a much smaller parish and much smaller ministry. We had basically one building out of which we operated. We had a collection of houses that we owned but were in terrible shape. And we had a sixplex apartment building that we tried to use for ministry as well. So when I arrived, my feeling was that everything had to change. I had something of an epiphany when I walked onto the property. I looked at it, and it may seem odd to to hear this, but I truly did have a spiritual experience where I had this interior flash where I realized what had to change and had this dream of removing the the shacks that were on our property and building something there so in my mind uh, it was a charming little parish it's not like it was a bad parish it was fine but it was sleepy and and the campus ministry was reaching only only a handful of students now great students mind you but I realized we needed to reach more students. The music, I realized, needed to change. And just that we needed to grow. We needed to fulfill our potential. That's what I felt, honestly felt, from day one. Yeah. Alex, I'd be curious, too. I know that you're not the guest on this podcast. You're the host. But uh, <laughs> but I'd be curious to hear um, your experience in the early days of, of St. Thomas More as well and, and how well they collaborate with what Father's sharing um, in regards to like what you remember from that time. Yeah, I, I remember these things that Father Jim's describing quite well, and, and I actually forgot about some of them. Like, I, I actually used to live in that sixplex apartment uh, my junior, senior year, and yeah, we used to have some some different kind of small ministry events in, in some of those shacks. Like, we had some some focus gatherings and things like that, um, Sunday suppers, and and yeah, it was just small. It, I think it, it, it was way smaller than, like, OU student ministry should be. Yeah, it was just small. Because even in those small houses or shacks, we, we didn't even fill it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, what's, what's going on here? Um, the, I think the not not the one good, but a good that came out of it was because it was so small, it really let me come to know Father Jim a lot better. And we began to become friends and, and spend time golfing and things like that and, and build a really good friendship that, that I still treasure and, and that has still been fruitful in my life. Um, I do think that the changes that have happened here, though, are just incredible. Not not only from from the new church, but everything that's come from it, and including all of the new space. And it's like, I think it's like a is it like the movie like Field of Dreams. It's, it's like if you build it, they it will, will come. come. And it's like I I think that's like every you know parish's like dream for fundraising. If you build it, they will come. But I think the truth is that it's not always the case. That's not always the case. And I think what happened here is that there was a need. That that w- that came before uh, the the new church and new space being built, and so the the new space was a re- was an answer to that. And I think a lot of that was the changes in leadership that 
that happened here and, and what Father was able to do during this time, which I think is, is just amazing. Um, so with that, with I, I know I was able to see some, some glimpse of just the incredible work and energy and effort of the fundraising campaign and the months and months of meetings and strategy meetings and conversations and asks and all these things that a lot of people, again, had not had the opportunity to see. But during, like, uh, say, a difficult time in, in you know, the, the history of St. Thomas More, priesthood, whatever it might be, what were some, like, sources of inspiration that you drew, some, some kind of motto or some kind of, you know, something that you kind of went back to that, like, helped you persevere during that time? I think my motto in life is forward, always forward. I, I say that to myself on difficult days. If I have a difficult day in ministry or personally, I remind myself that it's forward. We must always go forward. There were difficult days during the fundraising, difficult seasons during the fundraising. I would often go late at night to the Holy Family Shrine and pray to St. Joseph. I I asked him early on in the process to be my patron during that because I realized that without some spiritual guide and grounding that I wouldn't be able to fulfill my role in the process, which was that of leader and, you know, the one to give inspiration. And Joseph being the builder, the the laborer, I I grew very close to him in the process, and there were times when... To be honest with you, the campaign had stalled out, and I remember the most famous, in my mind, episode. I went one night, late at night, and just poured my heart out to St. Joseph, and the next week, a $500,000 gift came in and restarted the whole process. So he, he was, you know, he was my great patron and remains... A great patron for me. Wow! Oh my gosh, that's that is a crazy story. Jeez, um, the power of intercession right there for sure. Uh, a question I was thinking of um, as we were, as I was listening to Father is like, yeah, as you're going about this process over the last eleven years, like you really like allowing your vision of the parish and where it's going um, to be uh, manifested. What were some of the like? I guess, ways that you came about to like seeing that these things needed to change? Who were like people that you looked to or people that you maybe like sought like advice or wisdom from as you like started to like kind of envision the changes that you were hoping to make in the parish? I think the question basically is like, yeah, how, how did other people or like prayer and all these things influence into the vision that you set for, for St. Thomas More? Well, to begin with, the core of our staff believed in the vision as well. And if you can't, convince your staff of your vision, then you're dead in the water. Mm -hmm. I think the changes that Nolan Riley made to our music program were so instrumental in in helping to change the culture of the parish, the expectations of the parish, and frankly, to widen the horizons of the parish. So he was of great help to me. Harold Heipel, rest his soul, who is now is now gone, was consistently uh, the guy that had my back, the parish leadership guy, who was always behind me, always supportive of the vision. Preston Trimble was another person, rest his soul as well, very generous to the parish. 
Mike and Robin Tower, I asked them very early on if they would chair the fundraising committee, and they did, and they did a, an amazing job. Uh, mm-hmm. And also Corian Autumn McMahon also uh, helped with that. So I, I was able to surround myself with a team of people who believed that we could do it. Mm-hmm. And together we were able to convince the larger parish that, yes, this this can be done. I remember when I pitched the idea for the Marion ceiling, which we did not have any money to do, and Sharon Parker stepped up and said, I, w- I want to help you do this. I want to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And she did. Wow. So any number of people throughout the parish, without their help, it would never have happened. That's really cool. One of, one of my favorite stories with the fundraising campaign was the very first meeting, the very first thing that, that kicked it off. Could you share that? That's one of my favorites. Well, I think the very first meeting was over in the, as I recall, was in the Sixplex apartment building, and we had a, didn't we have like a slideshow of what the church would look like, mm. and it was almost shock as, you know, as people heard that it was going to cost $5.6 million, $1 million of that being an organ, and just the look on people's faces as if that was all the money in the world and for it to eventually end up as an eight million dollar project and no organ as of yet i mean to think how far we came so it was a great risk and and there was i think an initial an initial shock but again it was just you know it only takes a handful of dreamers to get behind you to slowly but surely convince everyone else and, and you were you were the first dreamer and I, I remember you telling me about the there was a couple that came in and said we, we want to make a gift to the parish and you you, you kind of put like different propositions oh and, my yeah, gosh. yeah, 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 that, yeah. Share that one. <laughs> uh, now this is a great story it was a, a couple in the parish and they invited me to have dinner with them and i we went out to the service station and we were having a very nice dinner and they're like we want to give a gift to the parish but how would you use it so I had all these sort of middling range projects I was pitching to them, and they just sort of looked at me blankly, and I finally said, well, wait a minute, let me ask you this, what size gift are we talking about? And they said, a half million dollars, and I almost fell off the bench. No one in my entire priesthood had ever given a half million dollars, and so I remember I stopped and I said, okay, all these ideas we're talking about, no, no. Let's take them all <laughs> off the table. If you give us that, we are going to build a new church. Gosh, I love that. That was a great that. moment. Great I moment. I love it. I, I think what I think is so cool about that too is like it, I, like Trevor's talking about. Like there's this, again like this source of inspiration, this dream, like the, this spiritual kind of realization of moment you had that 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 kind of pivot in that conversation, like that kind of prompting of the holy spirit whatever it was is is the fruit of what came before it again you know it's like these you're like oh there's something pre-existing in my heart and my mind that when when i when this moment came i was able to pivot and and to leverage it so i think it's i think it's beautiful um so obviously trevor you you and i each week we kind of give our advice to to the college student to the 20 to the 21 year old something um but but father jim looking back on on your time in college and what is something that you would tell the, the 21-year-old version of yourself? 
what would I tell the 21-year-old version of myself? I would have, I would tell myself, become a Catholic sooner, <laughs> because I, I waited quite a while. I mean, I began attending Catholic mass. Many people assumed I was Catholic, but I struggled with the identity. I struggled with what that would mean for my own personal longings to be a minister, to be a preacher of the gospel. And I waited probably, what, five, six years before I ever officially joined. If I could go back, I would tell myself, no, join now. You need the grace of the sacrament now. That's actually, that's actually, uh, I think that's kind of just like a, a quality that you have. I, like both, both the the kind of the immediacy of like no now, like we 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 need this now. Let's move now, um, and then and then also like the the motto that you said of like forward, always forward. I think if you ask someone what's a motto that you live by, and they and they say something that you've never heard them say, it's probably not a good motto. <laughs> but but I I've heard you say forward, forward in staff meetings often of you know corralling the staff like let's let's move forward, let's move forward. So I I think the the kind of the immediacy of action and moving forward is just. And then the sense of dream that you have for for the parish, for your priesthood, it's just remarkable. Yeah. Trevor, what what thoughts are coming to mind for you? Yeah, I, I was hoping to hear. Uh, I was thinking maybe we could Alex transition a little bit and some of the questions, particularly about your priesthood, Father. And um, I think one of the questions on here that Alex and I prepared that I really like is, yeah, what are what are some interior battles that you fight that are unique to the priesthood, right? Because I think, obviously. Uh, I think I talked about this to you last week, but I think often there's a, a, a misunderstanding, or not even misunderstanding, but lack of understanding or lack of knowledge that a lot of lay people have into the interior life or to the, the dispositions and things that the priests endure. And so I think you have this question, what are the interior battles that you fight that are unique to the priesthood is really like a, a one that people would be interested in to, to know. I think one of the spiritual issues I revisit again and again is the promise of obedience Mm. and in fact I'm going to be preaching about obedience this weekend priests take a vow of obedience we also you know promise to remain chaste celibate all of our lives Uh, in my mind uh, in my experience that vow of obedience has been more difficult for me Mm. I tend to be a highly independent person Mm. I often feel that I have better ideas than maybe mm-hmm. those in the hierarchy. <laughs> you know, I, there's a certain uh, rebelliousness that is within me and against which I struggle. So that would be one of the issues that I return to again and again. And I think for parish priests, one of the great constant struggles is to to carve out the time for prayer and reflection and not to feel guilty about it. If I take time, downtime in the afternoon to rest, to reflect, to read, to pray that I I have to remind myself, you know, I'm, I'm not bound by office hours. Mm -hmm. It's not a nine to five job and it's a much different life and the struggle to remain current in your prayer and to take time out for solitude and adoration and contemplation is always a great struggle, 
Many priests report that. I certainly have experienced that myself. Now, I will say this on a positive note. The, one of the great things about priesthood is that the Mass never gets old or rote. Mm-hmm. In my experience, it has never become just some chore that I have to do. There's always that great moment when you are confecting and you realize that the Lord, King of the universe, has come to your altar in the form of bread and wine. It's a, it's a humbling moment and it's a, a beautiful moment. So that is, that's a good thing. Sometimes my life, my priesthood can be in disarray. I can be in disobedience. You know, I call it, I'm in rebellion against my life. Uh, but if I can get myself to an altar and do mass, then there's this tremendous grace that wow. comes to me. Yeah. I, I remember on a personal note, going off that, you saying cutting off time for leisure and prayer and contemplation in the afternoons. I remember there's one day, I think it was like this past summer, I had a lot of anxiety. I was like, I'm trying to figure out my, my prayer schedule, when I was going to do it. I remember just feeling like anxious about, about this. And I, and I asked you, I was like, is it okay if I take 30 minutes during the work day to pray? And you were like, absolutely. Like you're like, it's, it's, it's common even in some places that people would just get on Facebook for 30 minutes a day. So, exactly. so pray. And I remember that brought me so much peace and, and it's something I'll continue to do. So, so, and, and it's kind of an extension of your own personal life. So I love that. Um, with, with this, I think it's so good. And I, I wonder what, what you would say to this, but so there's kind of a difference between like the, the forms of responsibility that, that a person takes on in terms of it can be kind of separated into roles and then changes in identity, right? So like a student, for instance, has a role as a student and as a son or daughter or whatever it might be that comes with responsibility. Then there's kind of the, the a role like a doctor, right, or a lawyer, that there's a, there's a change in identity in, in the person and how they relate to society and to other people. But, and, and, so father, and, and so Trevor and I both, you know, or Trevor's about to be a, a father of a child, both missionaries, and there's a big change in identity that happens there. If you become someone who's an example for college students, and as a father, you become like that image of, of God the Father to your children. But what's it, what is it like reconciling the, the human side of, of Jim Goins, the, 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 the man who loves to golf, you know, with, <laughs> and who's a great golfer, by the way, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with, with the, the change in identity as a priest, with, with ordination and, and the sacramental grace that, and power that, that is invested in you. What, what is it like to reconcile both sides of, of that person and that change in identity? This is the reason why priests need to go to confession on a regular basis and need to go to their brother priests on a regular basis and and talk about this. The, the fact that we are men of God and we are set apart and we are given this tremendous gift of priesthood, and at the same time there are days when we do not deserve it, many days when we do not deserve it. I have always found that very humbling. And my goal, I don't know that I've reached it yet, but my goal is integration, that the person I am is the person I am. No matter where I am, whether I'm in the office or on the altar or on the golf course, that the man I am is the man I am. That I don't believe that priests especially should compartmentalize their lives. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. So my goal is to totally integrate that, but of course, frail, sinful 
in need of redemption. There, I've had bad days and bad encounters with people where they've, you know, found me to be short or um, grumpy or whatever. And of course, I always regret that. And it's a that's a difficulty. People should always remember that the priests they encounter are also sinners, just as they are. They are sinners in need of redemption. They, too, have to go to confession. Uh, they also have to be redeemed and, you know, to be forgiving of that. Uh, I, I sometimes wonder if the priests who got into so much scandalous trouble are the priests who have forgotten that we are not entitled to uh, secret lives or secret identities. And even if the whole picture of you is less than flattering, better to be honest and to be transparent than to be secretive and have one pious identity that people see and then another one that people don't see. To me, that's the great danger in priesthood. Well, and I think that speaks to what you are talking about of this, this, uh, the importance of integration Right. Because like the integrated man or woman is the one who can like go forth and like live in such a way that their identity is, is unchanged by each like encounter that that, you know, presents itself to them. And I think that's what you're saying is like there's this beauty um, that I think priestness, especially gets an image in their life whenever they live integrated because they give witness to the, the transforming power of both the sacraments and like God's work in them. Um yeah, I think another question, and this is, you kind of started with this when you were talking about um, the beauty of the Mass and like that moment of um, recollection of God's presence in each Mass and how powerful that is for you. But what are some of the most rewarding moments that you find as a priest? Like moments that, you know, just lift your spirits after maybe the, the, the drag of like normal life events and all these things going on. What are those moments that are almost transcendent and bringing you back to the goodness of the priesthood? I love that question. Uh, there is a moment at a wedding when oh. the doors open and the bride steps into the doorway. The first moment that the crowd sees the bride. I've been privileged to see that so many times in my life. And every time I see it, it takes me somewhere higher than my ordinary life. That is a grace-filled moment. It's a sight I adore. That's one of the great pleasures of my priesthood is to witness that. Mm. One of my favorite moments. The other one is when you do a baptism and when the the mother or the father hold the child as you pour the water over the child and baptize uh, the child. I had a baptism once and the father held his firstborn son and as I poured the water... I noticed that the father was in tears, these tears coming down his his face. And I found that just such a beautiful, transcendent moment. So I would say weddings, baptisms are two of my very, very favorite things to do as a priest. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. No, that's, that's super good. I think we're, we're kind of getting close here to, to wrapping up time. If there's a final questions you have Trevor or final thoughts you have father uh but it's just been I don't know it's just been really refreshing to to get to obviously spend every day with you but to get to sit down and just ask intentional questions and and also just 
I, yeah, I think it was such a gift as a student to have a personal relationship with you. And I, I know that's something that, that you encourage. You want students to come and talk to you, and, but maybe students feel like you're too busy or whatever it is. And so it's just it's just good to, to have like a more personal encounter where students get to hear you speak directly to them and um, as you do every Wednesday night. But but just, <laughs> just to get to hear things about your life and, and the way that you view things and the way that you live. So Trevor, uh, is there any last thoughts that you have, last questions? I did have a couple. Uh, <laughs> one one funny and then one like vision kind of so I'm going to throw the funny in first uh, I wanted to know Father if you could see any two saints box each other in a boxing ring who who would it be who would you want to see oh yeah no I love that question uh, St. Paul was a fan of boxing he was a fan of, of sports that's right so I, I'd throw St. Paul in there because he followed boxing followed sports and then I think it'd have to be someone like maybe, um, let's see, let's put him up against someone, Saint Francis. I think that would just be <laughs> that would just be hysterical. That would be really that would funny. be hysterical. Anyway, I don't know if you're going to keep that. But <laughs> that's what I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say Saint Paul and one of the Christians he persecuted. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, and then with the, with the closing, like I think just vision, kind of vision question for for everyone, especially the students, is right. So you've been here for the past um, eleven years, and you've really seen this parish transform in the life of the parish, and especially the life of the, the student ministry. Where do you see St. Thomas More going ten years from now? Like if you're looking. You know, kind of like a, almost like in the middle of this phase of you can look back and see how it's changed and where it's going. What do you see as being those things that, that you most hope to see in the future of this parish? What I would hope to see in the next decade would be uh, more people on the ground to do campus ministry. For example, if we had an associate campus minister to help with that and then to have more focused missionaries, uh, that would be part of what I, where I hope and pray that we we go to in the future. Also, I think, I mean, the building we're in right now, we're in the old part of the facility doing this interview. This all needs to come down eventually, and we need to build a, a new state-of-the-art student center. So we have a great church now. We have a beautiful church. But there will be a need for a more intentional, intentionally designed student center. And even maybe with some housing, at least a discernment house where young men and women who are discerning religious life or priesthood might be able to uh, come and live in community, a community of prayer and service. Those are some of my dreams. I don't know if I'll be the guy that will will do that but i will be the guy who prays for that yeah absolutely beautiful father jim we have really appreciated this time thank you for agreeing to come on the thank podcast you. thank you yeah it's been so good um ne- maybe next time we'll just have to come and just hear stories just i know you have so <laughs> many stories so many great Whoa, wonderful shit. stories <laughs> Uh, but it's just been a privilege to sit down with you, and, and uh, thank you to the listener for, for tuning in again this week. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the Advent, and we will see you soon.